0: Well, good morning, and welcome everyone to Live Dharma Sunday for April seventeenth, twenty sixteen. Koyo Kubose here. So very glad you joined us. I was I wanted to share just uh, briefly um, an email I got uh, from an organization that. It was um, I can't remember the, the the details, but they were interviewing James Dr. James Gotti was a neurosurgeon at Stanford, and he has uh, written a book, several books, and part of his uh, research and interest, aside from doing actual neurosurgery every day. Um, is trying to e- explore the link between compassion and the brain. And it's in the area of what we might call what is called neuroplasticity where our brains change as a result of our experiences. Um and the gist of the, his interest is that the way we act, the way we think, the way what we see around us actually changes our brain. He also used the word brain hacking. We could hack our, into our own brains with our intentions, with our, uh, the kind of thoughts we have. So it's, in, well, they're very interested in meditation and mindfulness and showing the, going beyond the fact that um, for just individual uh, pleasure is the wrong word, but uh, well being of a, of a person, it behooves us to be compassionate toward ourselves. And this puts that change out into the world too because it shows our connection with humanity and uh, going beyond tribalism, which is where you know, you're you always defensive. You're trying to, to uh, protect yourself from people that are different from you and things like this. And so it has, uh you know, it's a very broad idea in terms of its social implications and that it sort of reflects, of course, the first <laughs> opening line in the Dhammapada, saying of the Buddha that all that we are is a result of what we have thought, the power of our thinking, and to show in the research that, you know, if you think just thinking about loving kindness, that it has tremendous effect and your part of the brain that's in charge of the fight or flight response physiologically shrinks. That is that you become less prone to be predisposed to be violent, okay, over the center that the brain center that controls that. So. I called this email to the Trailblazers group, and uh, so I was just look, looking at this, reading this interview five minutes ago, and it was, so it was on my mind, I thought I'd share that. I want to introduce our guest to give us a Dharma glimpse today, he's Paul Toyo, Part of the he was in our LM two group lay minister, the second group that went through our program, and we started in two thousand and seven, and they were inducted as Bright Dawn lay ministers in two thousand and nine, um, and most of them were able to come for their induction ceremony to Bright Dawn Center here, in Central California. And he lives in Missouri. He's a retired educator. Although he says, even though he's retired, he's busier than ever. So, I welcome Paul Toyo. Thank you.
1: Uh, This is very um, serendipitous um, that my Dharma glimpse uh, really dovetails exactly with what Reverend Toyo was saying. I've titled it "Who Am I? Who Is Anybody?" A Buddhist teacher suggested that to answer the existential question, who am I, it is useful to pose the question at the beginning of sitting meditation and then to supply the answer, don't know, myself, over and over again. Who am I? Don't know. Who am I? Don't know. Until, Cohen-like, a sort of resolution may emerge, even if, especially if, I can live with the question rather than with an answer. The who am I question has been dogging me for a long, long time, beginning most clearly and poignantly for me when I watched helplessly from America as friends in Ukraine were involuntarily relegated to the roles of pawns in an epic reprise of the Cold War. And lately in the dramatic refugee crisis in the Mediterranean region, as Syrians and others sought safety in Europe from the horrors of war. As a teacher of geography, which is not only the study of land, But even more is a study of how people use land, and also as a first-generation American, I'm acutely sensitive to the attachment people can have to land, and to the anguish of leaving a familiar homeland and home culture. Balancing that earnest desire by refugee families for a so-close-yet-now-blocked sanctuary is the earnest desire for security and familiarity of native European peoples who now live in those very refugee destinations and their desire for the ongoingness of their cherished national identity as, you may fill in the blank, as English, as German, as Swedish, as Greeks, as Turks, etc., etc. All of which brings me to the dharma of this essay, Who is Anybody?, what is our undeniable claim on this place? How does compassion for those faceless, different others even out with my needs for maintenance of my peace of mind and my lifestyle? At some level of our individual being, each of us is a refugee from somewhere, an immigrant to somewhere, a stranger in a strange land. Even First Peoples, so labeled in Canada, come from somewhere whether across the Bering Strait or arising from Earth. Choose your origin story. And going somewhere means that someone else likely was there first. But wait, as the voice shouts on late-night TV, there's more. As astute observers note, when physical or social or cultural circumstances shift, every population moves, seeking food, safety, and sanctuary. This occurs among all sentient beings, plants, animals, including insects, and of course, we humans. So guess what? Every movement of every living being requires changes in the lives and environment of every other living being in the target neighborhood. Instead of claiming original rights to land, a specious claim at best, let us be open to the human rights of others, and let us be open to a radical definition of who you are live with the question may it be so thank you
0: thank you very much <laughs> yes that's really who am i don't know who am i know that's really something and and then how that relates to well who is anybody how do we see other people and what is home and uh you know, our identities, national identities. And uh, what flashed onto me, just because I I've did been, I've been something recent, is that just last night I was watching a NOVA show on TV, and it was about uh, the Vikings. And uh, where, because of internal... Conflicts at home they that's why some of them you know, got exiled and expo- when they were of course uh, good seafarers and they went exploring uh, and this is how people uh, moved you know, for some reason they they left their homeland and then they, they made a new home. And in this particular program, of course, this did the Vikings discover North America before Columbus did? And the evidence is yes. And this you know, very well done NOVA program, um, they show the history. And you know, modern science and technology can show these things. Um, and... Not only uh, were invaders but they were colonizers so they they spread from the Scandinavian countries and and they um, in the 1960s they found evidence that uh, they did come to North America about. 500 A.D. or 600, 700, somewhere around there, maybe 500 years before Columbus. And the way they did that is, um, well, the most modern, most current research to confirm this is that uh, they use satellite imaging, which can pick up 400 miles up. Satellite imaging, there's... a re- researcher that looks at these images and it could not only show you things on the surface of the earth, but it could pick up very slight differences in the vegetation that shows that there's something underneath the ground because it affected the kind of plants that grow. So they could find, you know, there's a stone... Underneath the surface, or if there was a, had been a fire a long time ago, there, that sort of very subtly changes what the kind of plants that grow on the surface. And so, you could, when you look at infrared imaging, uh, it's grown out. You could sort of see, oh, there's something under there. And if it looks like a straight line or a rectangle, then, hey, that's, that's not occurring naturally. And so, that maybe there's some human activity on under there. And so that's how the researchers looking for the types of homes that the right size and then they then they have to go on site and they do more testing and then they dig a little test ditch, you know, maybe about ten by ten feet and they and then they find out what's really there. And one big thing is at that time, they know that the uh, indigenous people did not do any iron work. Okay? So if, if they find evidence that there, there was some iron work, iron smelting going on, they know that this is evidence that another, other evidence that, hey, this is evidence that there's, the Vikings were here. Okay? They made a foundry. And, uh, and it showed the the program showed that you know all the the different testing that they did some led to dead ends. They said, "What? Oh, I thought this was it, but no, no, no. That was okay. That was just this, and so forth." So it was really kind of a nice glimpse into you know, a cross section of uh, this area of research, um, but how these people, how. Yeah. When we look into our past, I think we really want to see the implications for, you know, how we're living now and the kind of dynamic change that's going on. Um, And uh, so almost everything interrelates and is a challenge to us to to see, yes, who am I (laughs) as a human being? And of course, that means well, how am I living as an individual day to day? And it's all pointing out that we're all in it together, <laughs> and the uh, appreciation for the fact of you know, and they sh- and they mention this in the in that uh, <clears throat> brain research program interview that I alluded to is that when you smile at someone, that might, that might, that five seconds might have a tremendous impact on the world. I I can't uh, describe it as well as they did. But uh, the point is, responsible. And we have the power to change our lives and to put that change out into the world. Which is, of course, what a lot of wise people have been saying all the time. That we're not just pawns in a world where what we have is power. And the more we, that thought of that possibility of what we, of that Is a is a tremendous well you might call it a frontier or the path that's opening up before us. It's just mind boggling. <laughs> On that thought. That's all for today's broadcast. Till next time. Keep going. And you have a very